Hi there, and welcome to The Brave, an exploration of resilience in the 21st century. Episode to episode, we uncover how systems, people and places can become adaptable and robust in an age of constant change and upheaval. I am your host, Beth and Vincent, and this week I've been having one of those conversations that touches on multiple different areas, but it's really fascinating because it kind of pulls multiple threads through. I've been speaking to Claire Whitaker, who has a really extensive background in innovation technology across multiple different companies. And we touch on innovation, what does innovation mean anyway, and how to implement it, and tech for good, and how technology might reshape our world in the years to come. It's a really fascinating conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. Okay, hi. Um, so first of all, thank you very much for having me on, Bethan. Um, my name is Claire and I am a business process innovation consultant, um, which is sounds a bit like nerdy and corporate, which it kind of is definitely a bit nerdy, but um, I'll just tell you guys a bit about my background. So I actually started off as a chemist and I used to work in global innovation for a big big chemical company for a few years Um, and it was really cool because I got to see um, all these play around with all these different weird compounds and mixtures in a lab and then like learn how to kind of scale the things that we found to be interesting um, out into the real world. I think uh, one of the things I was most proud of there is helping them develop the technology. And this is going to be super nerdy. So apologies. Um, so I don't know if any of you guys listening are familiar with Dulux paints at all, but they have one of their paints where if you throw like liquids onto your wall, they like form these little bubbles and you can just wipe it off really easy. And I was involved in, in making that. Um, so that's one of my claims to fame. But after a few years, I basically uh, left uh, research and started working at Amazon, which was just a whole new world of like technology and like systems and seeing how like companies were scaling. And I joined at this like crazy time where I could literally change anything on the Amazon website by changing um, something in an Excel sheet and then uploading it. Um, so it was mad watching it go from like that, like literally everything on Excel, um, into the beast that it is today. And through, through that company, I got the opportunity to work in loads of different teams. But, um, just before I left, I was working in an innovation team and what our job was to basically think of new experiences and new ways to kind of make people's lives easier shopping specifically furniture online so we were doing stuff with like augmented reality with AI like looking at different technologies and how we could really um really use them to kind of improve the customer experience so that was really cool but I decided to leave Amazon because I was hearing about all these like different cool startups and like small businesses doing all this really interesting stuff. And I knew that some of the experiences I'd had working at a big company and driving innovation there could be really helpful for them. So now what I do is I work part time at a nonprofit called Digital Catapult, um, helping different companies drive innovation within their businesses and working with all sorts of new technologies like blockchain um, an AI and um, an augmented reality. And then I also um, work time as an entrepreneur for myself, like helping small businesses scale their their work in innovative ways and design processes and systems that help them to do that more efficiently. So that's me. 
kind of long-winded that's such a fascinating (laughs) background and it sounds like you've you've kind of seen things from scale down to kind of like the I guess the smaller business side of things I'm really there's so much stuff I want to dig into but I'm really interested in the concept of innovation because I think for Mm -hmm. lots of people in their organizations it's a word that's kind of thrown about and it just means a new idea or a new way of doing things and often it means something's going to change and there's going to be a really big big headache for you so what I just want to know kind of what innovation has meant to you throughout your career and maybe some examples you've you've obviously given the Dulux paint one which is amazing I need that product but are there any others you could kind of um, explain to us and use to illustrate what innovation actually means yeah I mean it is, it is, you're so right when you're like, it's kind of just a term that's banded around. And even I, like, even though my titles, so much of my career have been like innovation lead or on the innovation program and doing all this innovation, like even I struggle to like really formulate what that is. And I think it's because it can mean so many things. But for me, innovation is really being able to kind of look at the bigger picture and ever and like all the things that are going on and kind of see the opportunities to do things a little bit differently within that space so that could be like looking at for example like if we take augmented reality like looking at the way that people are trying to do things online and how they're struggling to visualize something and then adding augmented reality to help them do that more easily within their own home or within their own kind of environment or it could be like for example if you like if I'm taking the example of like Airbnb like looking at okay so we need to be able to like people have spare rooms um, and people are also looking to make more money so we can help them by providing this service this innovation that allows them to do that a lot more easily and kind of scale that with like minimal minimal input really required from them so like solving problems and thinking about how you can do things a little bit differently is really how I describe innovation and throughout this podcast series um, lots of people have spoken about adaptability and the need to be able to change to keep up with I guess the world around them and how that's all changing I think at the moment it's a really prime example of how the world has fundamentally changed and we've all had to adapt and work from home and how, how do you see innovation fitting into that kind of I guess corporate adaptability um, try not to use buzzwords like lean methodologies and build measure test learn but that whole kind of piece (laughs) I think I mean I think it's an interesting one because like like innovation and adaptability within like a corporate or a business sense are basically survival in my in my mind and like there are ways that you can better serve your customers with what they need now but in, in order to do that you need to have worked out some of the things they might need a little bit in advance if that kind of makes sense And if you have like a culture of innovation and within your company, it means that you're more open to new ideas. You're more willing to try things and you have kind of an acceptance that things will fail. And as a result of that, you're able to kind of be more prepared. And maybe you don't have have something readily available. For example, during the pandemic, like a lot of companies weren't set up 
necessarily to be able to have their company their people work from home but if you're an innovative company then you at least have already done the hard part which is getting into the right mindset of how you can adapt and you're open to be able to do those things more quickly and that's going to help you build a stronger business in the long run because you're more ready to take advantage of any opportunity yeah that makes total sense and I guess I think a lot of people, when they're at work, they have amazing kind of innovative ideas, but they really struggle to get buy-in from managers or the wider organisation. Have you come across those types of blockers? And what are your oh yeah? What are your kind of tips for for overcoming them and almost kind of making people try new things? Yeah. So I mean, I can only really speak to big corporate where I've seen this issue. And I'm not going to give you my tips because they're probably not worth that much. But what I will do is give you the tips of the incredible mentors that I've had within those organizations that have helped me to do this a bit better. And I think a lot of it is just, it's all about showing the benefits. And at the end of the day, that's going to be in many cases the financial benefit so if you can think about like cost savings that these ideas will enable or opportunities to drive new markets and try and think about it from okay so what am I if 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 you're pitching this to someone it's like what are their goals what are they trying to achieve with this organization and how does your idea fit to that so for example one of the projects I pitched um, in one of my previous roles was this new way of um, setting up a service that uh, small boutique designers could use to help them get their products made in small batches in a more efficient way. Because I had a few friends who were designers and they told me that this was a problem and being able to identify all these things and do this well was a challenge to them. And I also knew that the company I was working at had like a system or like the kind of infrastructure in place to be able to offer that sort of service but when I was pitching it to the leadership team it was all about like how we can get I knew that they wanted to get like new and unique things on on the company so it's like how this project would allow them to do that in a way and it would give them something really cool to talk about as well as kind of opening up new markets and new revenue streams for them as a business. That's a really exciting kind of idea. Um, one of the, one of the things also, I this is a personal kind of what I struggle with, but is sometimes coming up with new ideas in the first place. And do you have a process you follow for that, or or is it kind of like the inspiration just strikes you? So this is this is a really great question, and I always kind of, I always in, in my gut, I feel like if you're forcing yourself to try and find this new idea it's never going to work because you're putting so much pressure on yourself to find a new idea but I think I think like what I see and what I hear works well for people is just the idea of being open to a new idea or like open to the fact that you will be able to have an innovative idea and that there is a problem out there that you can solve and then as you're out in the world and you're talking to different people and you're learning about different things and you're applying your own unique kind of way of looking at the world to them 
then those innovative ideas come as a result of that because you're open to it as opposed to sitting down in a room and trying to be innovative. Yeah, that's really interesting. And actually, when when I used to have to do exams back in the day at school, I found the mindset that worked for me was going into the exam thinking, I already know the answers. They're, They're in my brain somewhere. I've just got to kind of locate them and make sense of them. And I feel like sometimes when you're coming up with new ideas, that's another way of looking at it and just being accepting the fact you have ideas within you and it's going to be there somewhere. You're almost facilitating it rather than coming up with it. Exactly. And like it, the mind is so powerful. <laughs> like I was listening to actually the kind of that, the, the framing that I just came gave you around innovation came from Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. I was listening to an, um, an interview with her and she was saying like she basically just decided that there was a business that she was going to own and there was a problem out there that she was the right person to solve. And then when she realized that that was the fact that there was no like control underwear that actually was fit for purpose and helped her feel good in her outfit when she was going to meetings that she that was her problem like that was the thing that she was going to solve because she knew the, the user really well she knew the space really well and she knew what people needed so she was able to then make spanks and I mean the rest as they say is history yes and I'm extremely grateful they exist as well <laughs> yes <laughs> and kind of another side of your career is your kind of interest in tech for good and this is an area that really fascinates me with as well because I think tech often get, gets this kind of bad rep that you know it's spying on you it's using your data and all of that kind of stuff could you just elaborate a bit more on kind of your work there and some of the things you're really excited about yeah I mean there's there's so much to be excited about I'm I think like my work there is I try and help these companies like scale and be able to kind of do more with what they have. And some of my particular areas of interest with my chemistry background are in the area of like the environment and sustainability. So how like tech can be used, like one of the, I see tech really as a partner for people as opposed to like something that's taking over. Um, and one of the wonderful things about technology and specifically like AI technology is that we now have this incredible opportunity to process so much more data than we ever could before so that we can find and learn things way more quickly and knowledge is power. And once we kind of know those things, we can really use that knowledge to help us tackle some of these bigger challenges because at the end of the day, just telling people that they need to recycle and that they need to do these different things isn't going to make like you're not going to get everyone bought in and everyone engaged but if we can make things super easy for them and if we can kind of automate some of these decisions for them and make things a lot easier and use technology to support them and connect them in new ways then we have a much bigger opportunity and a much greater like way that we can have a positive impact in some of these challenges. Definitely and I've always thought humans are fundamentally really lazy and yeah. will follow the easiest path to doing something. And I guess I'm just kind of reframing our earlier points about innovation in my mind a bit. But I think an innovation part of it is smoothing the path for people and just making everything as easy as possible. It, I'm just trying to relate this back to, I guess, like technological improvements from the past. So if you think about things like the um, the spinning jenny and the loom, that was just making a, a process easier for someone. 
Yeah, like so many, like the car made it easier to get places uh, faster. Uh, Amazon made it easier for you to buy books and get them delivered. Like all of these different things that like if you can make someone's life 1% more convenient, you're onto a winner. (laughs) Definitely. I'm really intrigued to hear your thoughts on kind of in the tech for good space on contact tracing and the use of data in kind of the COVID tracking apps and whether you think that's kind of a positive thing that can be managed in a positive way or whether you're personally a bit wary of it. I am personally a little wary um, of this. I think it's a great idea in principle and it's something that we should be looking at, but I want to know that it's being done in a way that is ethical and in a way that kind of empowers people with their data my worries are um, the, the level, like privacy and how that's going to be managed and how people's data is going to be used. And, and like the other worries are, okay, so it's great that we can do this and show the capabilities of this for contact tracing. And that obviously has some incre- like good use cases and can really help people save lives. But what happens after the pandemic? Like, are we... Uh, is that technology going to be shut down and how do we know that that's happening and how do we we know and trust that companies governments and like people aren't going to then take advantage of the fact that they now have this technology and use it in a way that we as the general user and the general public would not be comfortable with so I think like it's it's great and it's a great opportunity that we have it but I think that we need to have this kind of discussion around the ethics of it and how that will be managed and we need to do it like so we're having this discussion because this is a topic that interests us a lot of people out there it's not a topic that interests them so they might not necessarily get involved in the discussion and they might just um, give permissions or give access to something without fully understanding what that means and how can we do a really good job of empowering those people so that they don't have to do all this extra research that they're not particularly interested in to know how their data is using and they can feel safe and secure or they just not have to worry about it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I work in tech and I, I understand a lot of kind of the principles and the technologies that are being used, but even I feel like I am not informed enough about yeah. the the development methodology like what is actually being written to the database and and does that data expire and all of that kind of stuff so exactly. I, I think if people in our position are kind of like well who knows then how do you kind of inform the general public about it as well and it's really exactly. interesting yeah it's really interesting kind of the point you made about like do they even care yeah and I think that's like a really important point on the tech for good concept and like ideas around this generally is that I think one of the big problems that we have within the technology space and particularly with these like new technologies like AI that are, that are scaled and that have all these different use cases like should there's a big like us and them kind of thing um, as in like those that are working in tech and are or are really interested in it and care and do the research and want to know and then those who it's just not their area of interest but there are there are a lot of ethical challenges with with this and the, how we think about it and if my my personal view is like how can you have like you shouldn't have 
just the people that uh, take the time to be interested um, in the technology deciding how it should be used. If it's going to be such a technology that's having an impact on the wider population and how people are living their day-to-day lives, like they should at least be consulted or informed about how that's being done and how can we do that in a way and take responsibility for that as people working in tech and people who do know to make sure that they are also aware. Yeah, and I think that's sometimes the kind of dilemma of innovation and progress and the, 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 the kind of model for this we've had is that people are going to be left behind you know, and that's that's yeah. the narrative we have as a society. Mechanisation comes in, industrialization comes in, goodbye people working in cottage industries in their homes. You know, yeah. automation comes in, well, bad for you if you were working in a factory job that could be automated and robots could take your place. And, and I wonder if th- this is the point as a society where we've kind of got to say to ourselves, actually, no, people shouldn't be left behind. We need to involve them in, in the choices that are being made so that they are informed, but also look after them as well. I think we've, we've all got a duty of care beyond just involving people. It's actually making sure that <laughs> I don't want to say we're all in this together because that's been politicised beyond... <laughs> beyond uh, measure but that we at least have a sense that innovation is for a society not for private companies alone well exactly and i think we've reached the level now where we have the scale and i think it with the like previous industrial revolutions like they have like they had a few they took a few years like they took a long time to like implement and you've got like I don't know how long the Industrial Revolution is, and I'm going to probably make myself look like an idiot. But say you've got, like, 50, 100 years before yeah, it was, like, fully yeah. mainstream. Thank you. Uh, I'll verify. I just did history, so I'm a bit of a nerd about that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, great. <laughs> this is good. You can fact-check me. Um, but you've got time. Like, you've got time. You've got generations. You've got time to see how, like, the impact and kind of adjust your strategy in theory as a country and how you skill your people and how you prepare them. The thing with like, like, let's take, for example, Facebook. I'm not sure how exactly how long Facebook has been around. I'm going to say like no more than 20 years, like 15 years more likely. Um, And like, it's completely changed our society. And like a lot has come out of that. And that's happened really quickly. And like people in government, people in the public don't necessarily know. I mean, if you watched the, the interviews that they did with Zuckerberg, like they don't know how the technology works. So how can they how can they possibly like make policies around it and decide how it's going to use? And the big companies end up having like basically being able to regulate themselves, which I don't think that they should be able to. But how, but then how, like the question is like, how can we upskill our people? How can we prepare people for the thing? How can we work on our education systems and do that and have that discussion in a sensible way that will allow us to kind of manage this transition, like you say, with the duty of care? Yeah, because it blows my mind that, you know, technology should be democratising. It's accessible to all. If you think about the principles of the, the World Wide Web was founded behind, you know, it's available to everyone, information everywhere. But somehow we've ended up in a situation where there is this kind of like a top section of society and I use that in a more kind of economic sense than anything else that Mm. control a lot of the tech they control a vast amount of wealth because of it and it's impenetrable to government systems to to bureaucracy to pub to the public as a whole exactly 
it's terrifying when you think about it really yeah um yeah I try not to <laughs> all the time you just have to don't think, think about it <laughs> And finally, I was just really um, intrigued because of your kind of experience and work and innovation about how you think companies can, whether they will adapt to the current kind of post-COVID-19 environment. Yeah, I mean, I think we like one thing that you are saying is that a lot of companies are adapting and they are adapting fast. And I think that's that's awesome like and it's great to see but there are people who have been left behind and perhaps it's because it's kind of like the blockbusters of the pandemic like people who hadn't thought more about digital and hadn't had the opportunity to prepare necessarily for for a massive shift and I'm not like no one could have predicted this shift and the the speed of it and the impact but those companies that had that more kind of adaptable mindset or had that that kind of ability to innovate more quickly and were open to doing that more quickly are now able to thrive or at least like keep going much more so than other others and other industries and I think there'll be industries that come out of this really well and other industries that really struggle where they've kind of had a slower adoption of new technology and a slower adoption of like the changing ways of work yeah, I think the example that always comes to my mind is Primark. So since kind of shutting all their stores, they've taken zero in revenue because they didn't invest. And they actually made a conscious decision not to invest in digital infrastructure. But that just means, you know, by ignoring it, it just means now that they have no route to market and for the foreseeable future as well. Yeah, exactly. And even when lockdown is like this is the thing that I was discussing in our obviously weekly Zoom pub quiz. Um, the other week it's like even when the lockdown is lifted like how comfortable are you going to feel just going to the shops and going to the pub as much as I want more than anything in the world to go to the pub like I'm I'm not necessarily going to feel great about it for for a good while until I feel safe like being in crowds and we feel safe as a society so by not setting yourself up or not at least thinking about this you're now at a massive disadvantage and it's companies like that that are really gonna feel feel the pinch yeah definitely um okay cool well thanks so much for having me on i hope you guys listening have enjoyed our little ramble chat um like I said at the beginning, my name is Claire. And if you're interested to talk to me more about innovation within your organization or how you can look at creating these more adaptable and scalable cultures within your business, please feel free to reach out. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and my website is artificiallyintelligentconsulting.com. And yeah, it'd be great to hear from you. Thanks so much for Claire for coming on and speaking to me. I found that conversation fascinating and I hope you did too. I would love it if you would consider leaving a review and or a rating of the podcast on the platform of your choice. It basically just means I get some feedback on what I'm doing and also people get to find out about the podcast because it will get recommended algorithmically to people as well so that would be great if you want to follow us we're on all the social media channels facebook twitter linkedin and instagram you can find us at the brave listen and we also have a little internet home on my website which is bethanvincent.com and if you head on there you can listen online to the podcast on there but you also can find about 
out about me, what we're doing, what's coming up. And finally, I also have a newsletter as well, um, the Brave newsletter. And basically, this is a kind of a short essay based thing where I share some thoughts around what, what I'm thinking about during the week and how that relates to resilience. And I also share some of my top links I've come across around the internet during the week as well. And you can find the link to that on my website or on Substack. If you type in the brave, I should come up there. But that's all for this week, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope to see you again soon. <laughs>